Uh, we are in a sermon series uh, entitled Lost and Found. We're studying the, the gospel of Luke chapter 15 uh, for about three more weeks after today. Uh, so I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. I hope you brought your Bible to church. You get extra credit points in heaven when you bring your Bible to church. I will find that verse. I'm still looking, but I'll find it. I wasn't sure when we were going to get done with the Mark series, Um, so we got done with it a little bit quicker than I thought. I thought it was going to lead us right into Christmas, so there was a like five or six weeks gap, and so I started praying about, you know, what the Lord wanted us to talk about, and uh, it really didn't take me long uh, to realize this is Luke 15 is it, and so my prayer for me personally, and I, I hope that the Lord will start with me in this is I just, I want to better understand how God thinks about and responds to the lost. Now, I don't want to take it for granted that you understand what that means. When Christian people uh, use the word lost, what they mean is a person who is separated from God and unable to find uh, their way to him. And so how does God think and respond to those type of people? Uh, A few years ago, my wife and I, we were at Walmart on Sir Barton Way, um, pretty big Walmart. We were shopping for towels. We just moved. And so we got rid of all our old towels. We're getting new towels. And, and it was kind of, you know, one of those deals. You want to get the right towel because if you end up with the wrong towel, it's terrible. Amen? So you want to get a good towel. We had our youngest daughter with us, and we were preoccupied in the towel section. This was an important decision to me. And we lost track of her. I mean, we lost sight of her for like literally a second. She was probably four or five at this point, and she's pretty quick, and it just so happened that during this time, she was in this phase, I don't know if any of your kids did this, where she would like play hide-and-seek without telling us that she was playing hide-and-seek, and so she would just randomly disappear for extended periods of time, and then we start freaking. So we thought, you know, she was just playing around, and so we looked under the, uh, you know, the, the, the case where the towels were on. She wasn't there. We looked behind the towels, not there. We looked in the next row. We went and looked in the clothes racks, the closest clothes rack, because she liked to get in the center part of the clothes racks. Did any of your kids do that? She thought it was the funniest thing. We could not find the girl anywhere. And uh, it, it was long enough for us to start, like, starting to freak out a little bit. Some of you parents, some of you irresponsible parents like me, you've been there before. And so uh, we're, we're yelling her name out, like, loud in Walmart. Everybody's looking at us. We go and talk to the Walmart employees. We're telling them, send out whatever code. We're, I mean, we're getting really worked up. And then right about the moment where Eric and I are about to, like, just melt into a puddle of tears, here comes Sayla with a big smile on her face, like, you know, that this is the funniest thing that's ever happened. And it turns out that she had just walked to the front. She was looking at the claw game that has the stuffed animals in it. In that moment, I was conflicted. There was part of me that wanted to scoop her and squeeze her and just love on her. And then there was a part of me that wanted to yank a knot in that kid's head. Can you relate? I tell you that story to say this. I think in a lot of ways, uh, we're conflicted in how we should feel about how we we should respond to the lost people in our lives. And so let's look together at Luke chapter 15. Let's all stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And and I just pray the Lord brings us clarity today. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. 
What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he's found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls all his friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you care enough for each and every one of us that you've searched us out. You called us by name. You've invited us into your family, Lord, and you've empowered us to walk in your ways. And, Lord, we're eternally grateful for that. Without you, we'd be lost. We'd be damned. Uh, we'd be in all sorts of trouble. But because of you, we have an eternal hope, a living hope, and uh, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And we can never repay you for that, Lord. So all, all we can bring to you today is just our allegiance and our devotion. And, Lord, we long for more of you. So as we, as we gather around your word, Father, I pray that you'll use me. I, th- I pray you'll speak through me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a flawed vessel for sure. And, uh, Lord, if anything is going to change in any of us, it can't be anything for me. It's really got to be you. And so I just pray you'll use me today. Um, And, Lord, I pray that you will bless each and every one of my friends that have gathered here and everybody that's watching online. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, would you just agree with me in prayer um, for the people in this room, people that are struggling, sick, anxious, Depressed. Pray for the people that are watching online. A lot of people sick today. Just pray for them. Pray for our city. Upcoming elections. Just as the Lord's will be done in Winchester. Pray for our church that we might be a city on a hill. We might be exactly what God wants us to be in this community. Take a moment, pray for yourself. Pray a prayer something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Luke 15, 1. Uh, we see uh, a group of tax collectors and sinners, and I talked to you about this last week. Uh, verses 1 through 7 was the first part of this sermon. If you'll remember last week, I told you this was a two parts to one sermon, uh, because really this is all part of the same parable. So if, if there's something I don't cover today, go back and watch last week's sermon. But uh, you'll remember that we talked that the tax collectors and the sinners, they'd all gather around Jesus um, and they're listening to what he has to say. And then you've got a group of people that are self-righteous, and they're really good at following all the rules, uh, but they add to God's rules, and their heart's not in the right place. And uh, So really, they're, they're following the rules, but they're far from God. It's kind of interesting. We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, but they're, they're upset because you've got all these sinners and these tax collectors who don't do the right things, and Jesus is allowing them to come and draw near to them and listen to them, and he eats with them. 
And they don't like that. The, the self-righteous people, they don't like that. And so Jesus, he picks up on their negative energy, and he, he tells them a parable. And so these are directed at the self-righteous people. And he's trying to show them this is how God feels about, this is how God um, interacts with the lost. Now, as I've been studying this, it, it became more and more clear to me that um, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, they go together. So if you brought your Bibles, uh, you can see at mine, mine's got red letters. And so what you'll see is that verse 4 through verse 10, there's not really any break. It's all red letters. Uh, and Jesus makes a transition there in verse 8 where he says, or. And so those two things are connected. It's kind of like Jesus is telling the same thing twice, okay? Uh, and then you get to verse 11, and this is the parable of the lost son. So we got the lost sheep, we got the lost coin, and then we have the lost son. It appears to me, the more modern study, that this is a, a similar message but from a different angle. Okay, so as I've been studying, this is, this is what I, I believe Jesus is doing here. Uh, he's telling the lost coin and the lost sheep from heaven's perspective. And the story of the lost son, which we'll start talking about next week, is more of like the practical perspective. And so as we study the, the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep, uh, what we're seeing is God, how he interacts in the unseen realm when dealing with lost people. And so, so in the story of a sheep that wanders away from its shepherd and from a coin that's displaced from its owner, I believe we can learn today three spiritual truths about the lost. Here, here's the first thing. It is not good to be lost. It is not good to be lost. It was not good for Selah to be lost in Walmart in any way, shape, or form in the year we live in. That's scary, right? It is not good, even more so, that people be lost spiritually. A lost coin is a waste. And so this woman, who she's got 10 coins, and she loses one of them, she can't take the coin that she lost and go and buy food, go and buy clothes, go and buy pumpkin spice dog treats. She can't do anything. with The, it's, the coin hasn't lost value, but the value is wasted in the lost coin. Are you tracking with me? In the same way, people who are disconnected from their creator live a wasted life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus says it this way. For what will benefit someone if he gains the whole world? In a practical perspective, everything this person sets out to do, everything he sets out to acquire, he accomplishes. He's successful in every possible way. Jesus says, what good is it for a person like that if he loses his soul? You remember King Solomon? The Old Testament, he was the king of Israel, God's people, at the height of their kingdom. And uh, Solomon was unlimited in his resources and in his access. He was unlimited in his authority. Anything that Solomon set out to do, he had the money to do it, and he had permission to do it. Now, initially, Solomon set out to be very successful. And so he gained, he grew in all sorts of wisdom uh, he was the wisest person in the world at this point in history. So wise that other leaders of nations would come to Solomon and ask for Solomon's insight and wisdom. Solomon 
Uh, he was a, a builder. He built some of the most amazing structures in the ancient world. Everything Solomon did, it, everything he touched, it turned to gold. He was so successful in every way you could imagine. If he was living today, he'd have 100 million followers on Instagram and Facebook. Everybody would know his name. Everybody would want to be like Solomon. He'd wear the nicest clothes. He'd be hanging out with the coolest people. As far as success goes, nobody was more successful than Solomon. And then he got in a stage with his life. I guess he got in disenchanted with, with chasing success and climbing the corporate ladder. And so then he said to himself, I'm just going to live like a, a wild and rebellious life. And so Solomon, with all the authority that he wanted and all of the resources that he had at his disposal, he could, he could afford to do whatever he wanted and nobody could say no to Solomon. Solomon walked all the way down the rebellious road. He walked all the way down the wicked road. So anything that your little depraved mind could think up to do to enjoy your sinful flesh, Solomon did it. He did not restrain himself in any way. And so Solomon walked all the way down success's road. He walked all the way down sin's road. And at the end of it, do you know what he found? This is what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the end of his life. He's looking back, verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all of my struggles. When I considered, I'm looking back, this is what I found, all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, and I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. In the same way, a coin separated from its owner is a waste. A life separated from its creator is ultimately meaningless. A lost coin is a waste, and going back to the sheep, a lost sheep is in danger. It's not good to be lost. A sheep can't defend itself. No claws, no fangs. No one has ever been to the ER because of a sheep attack that I'm aware of. And so a lost sheep is a lamb chop waiting to happen. You've seen those YouTube videos of predators hunting, specifically herd animals. And this is what they do. Who, who do they go after? The weak and the vulnerable, don't they? And they'll pick one out. And what's their first step, these, these uh, predatorial animals? What's their first step? To isolate the weak and the vulnerable from the herd. It's not good to be lost. People who are separated from Christ, in the same way a sheep separated from the shepherd and the flock is in danger, a person separated from Christ is in danger, in danger of earthly pain. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, not a friend, not a little cartoon character in a red suit with pointy ears and a little wild tail, and, you know, he's just going around. He's just a jokester. He's fun, you know. He's, a, he's just silly. That's not what it says, is it? The Bible says that he's your adversary, and he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to do what to? Devour. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is talking about his sheep. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow after me. That's important. He says, I have come that people 
that my sheep may have life abundantly, but there's a thief. There's a thief, and what does he come for? To steal and kill and destroy. A sheep walking away from the shepherd is easy prey for the wolves and will meet a painful end. A lost person walking in sin is easy prey for Satan and in time will experience great pain. You see, we live in a world that just plays around with sin. We don't take it serious. But do you know that no person aspires to become a drug addict when they pop their first pill? You realize that? No person aspires to become a sexual predator when for the very first time they get on their cell phone and bring up a pornographic website. They don't aspire to that. That's not what they're dreaming and hoping will happen. No person destroys their marriage and family when that very first time at the office they get a little bit too friendly with their coworker. They don't aspire to that. They don't set out and say, well, this is what, I hope this is what happens. I hope I destroy my marriage and my family. Nobody does that. Why? Because sinful living will take you farther than you intended to go. And it will keep you there longer than you intend to stay. And it will cost you more than you want it to pay. Satan, the tempter, a liar, has bad intentions for your life. He wants to hurt you, and he will use sinful living to accomplish that. People who are lost, it's not good to be lost. They're in danger of earthly pain, and they're in danger of eternal damnation. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. This is what it looks like. For a person who's lost, this is the kind of life that they live. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things. As I've warned you before, over and over and over, we need to be reminded of this that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. When God takes his vengeance with a flaming arrow on those who don't know God, those who are lost, on those who don't obey the gospel, those who rebel against our Lord Jesus Christ, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. The wrath of God will fall down on unrepentant sinners. It is not good to be lost. Hell is real. Hell is painful, and hell is eternal. We don't talk about that enough. We don't contemplate that enough. People who do not submit to Christ as king will go to that terrible place. And Jesus describes it as a place of outer darkness, a place where there is only weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where the fire burns, but it never consumes, where the worm eats, but it never eats you up. You will wish that the fire would burn you up. You will wish that the worms will eat you up, but they never do. There you are in pain, and there is no help coming. There's no relief coming. There's no hope for those in that dark place. There is no crossing over. Now, I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm telling you this because we are living. This sounds so, it seems like it should be so obvious for Christians, but in the world that we're living in, our godless culture denies the problem of lostness. 
They deny that the existence of God to begin with because there is no God, there's no universal truth or standard, standard. And because there is no God, there is no sin. There is no judgment. There is no damnation. In the godless worldview, we should all live and let live. In the godless worldview, we should all eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow you die. And that's the end. It's all meaningless, so do what you wish. Whatever makes you feel good, that's the highest ambition and priority. Just follow your heart. Be true to yourself, even if yourself is sinful according to the scriptures. The lost sheep, if they were telling this story, they would say that the lost sheep is actually in the right place because they're living out their true self. Isn't that, isn't that the language that's being used in this day and age? They would say of the lost coin, it's actually more value in the lost coin to be lost in the cracks than to be oppressed in the hands of its owner, right? To make matters worse, not only are we living in a culture that does not denies the problem of lostness, Satan and his false prophets have deceived the church. They have twisted God's word to confuse our thinking. And the God-haters have programmed all of us to take sinful living lightly. Years and years and years ago, they came to us and said, you know, really, if you want to be a loving person, then you should, you should tolerate our sinful lifestyle. And then it went from toleration. Don't just tolerate it. You, you need to accept our sinful lifestyle. But now that's not enough. Now you got to affirm the sinful lifestyle. And then let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate the sinful lifestyle. And now, listen, this is the next step. You got to participate. You got to participate in a sinful lifestyle. That's the only way to really be loving. And this is the language. This is the programming that Satan and all of his frost prophets have used to make impotent the message of the church. Now, if you don't believe me, if you think I'm just making all this up, I challenge you to name one taboo. I challenge you. Come to me after service and you tell me one thing that is universally sinful. One thing. There's no sin. There's no depravity. There's no lawlessness that won't be defended by this godless culture that we're living in. The only sin in our culture is intolerance. That's the only sin. But I'm here to tell you, it was not good for Selah to be lost in Walmart. It was not good for the sheep to be lost from the shepherd. It is not good from the coin to be displaced from its owner. Even more so, it is not good for people to be lost spiritually. It's not cute. It's not innocent. It's not brave and beautiful. Being lost is a wasted life. It's an endangered soul. It is sad and it is scary. And as Christians, we should come to terms with that and we should treat lost people as such. Which brings me to the next point. Second spiritual truth we can learn from these two parables, Jesus loves the lost. You see, searching implies valuing. 
Eric and I, we frantically search for Selah because we love that little booger, right? This woman in the story, she turns her whole house upside down looking for the lost coin because it means something to her. Look at verse 8, Luke 15. Or what woman who has 10 coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now, there's two, few, two views on this coin. Uh, the coin uh, is actually, uh, in the Greek, it's a drachma, which is the equivalent of one day's wages. Okay, so the one way to look at this coin is she has 10 coins, then this coin represents one-tenth of her net worth, one-tenth of her wealth, 10%. The other way to look at this coin, there's 10 of them, and uh, it's been suggested by some scholars that this represents a type of jewelry that a woman would wear in this day. And so it was kind of a dainty necklace type of thing that she would wear on her forehead. There were 10 small coins attached to it. And so um, this coin, a lost coin off of her jewelry, in a way it would be kind of like a woman with a wedding band that has diamonds in it if one of the diamonds fell out. It's sentimental. It's not just value uh, financially, it's sentimental value. Now, I tend to lead towards the second, the second option because the other day I, I cleaned the house really good. My wife and my kids, they disappeared for a couple hours, and the house, especially the kitchen and the living room, was an absolute wreck, and so when they got home, the house was spotless. Now, what I didn't tell my wife, and she's not here, so I can tell myself, the reason I cleaned the house is because I was looking for the remote, Okay, that was the only way I was going to find it. So, that's what I see I think, with this woman, I think. You see, the value of an item is based on what someone will give for it. The value of an item is based on what someone will give for it. We know that I value the remote because I cleaned the whole house to find it. We know that the shepherd cared for the sheep because he went out of his way to find it. We know that the woman was emotionally attached to the coin because she flipped the house upside down to find it. We know that Jesus loves the lost because at Luke chapter 19, verse 10, look what he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. If you ever doubt God's love for you, don't look in the mirror because you'll be tempted to think, well, I'm less than a day's wages. There's no way that God cares for a useless person, a low-value person like me. Don't look in the mirror, and don't, don't look at the people around you, because what you'll be tempted to do is you'll see the 99 righteous people up on the hill, and you'll think, well, God's attention is directed towards them, rightfully so. They're the good ones. They deserve it. But here I am, this little lost sheep. There's no way, there's no way that God's got any time for a nobody like me. If you ever doubt God's love for you, don't look in the mirror and don't look at the people around you. Instead, look at the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God proves his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we were still separated from the flock, running around, doing our own stupid thing, caught in a ditch, living in our own junk and feces, There, while we were still sinners, caught in the crack, living in the darkness, no value, lost value, in our lowest place right there, Jesus Christ loved us the most, and he died on the cross for our benefit. If you ever doubt God's heart 
for the lost in your life, which is easy to do because there are some dumb sheep out there. There are some no good for nothing people out in the world. And so when your heart grows calloused towards them, I would encourage you, don't look at their potential because that's what we like to do. We like to think, well, this person's got a lot of money or this person got a lot of talent, and if we could ever win them to the kingdom, just imagine what they could do for Christ, as if God is in need, as if God is a respecter of persons. Don't look at their potential, and, and don't, don't look at the severity of their sinful condition, because this is, this is what we are also, we're also just very practical people. We want to be efficient, right? That's why when you go through Starbucks drive through if it takes more than three minutes, you're a little upset, we, we value efficiency. The Lord doesn't value efficiency as much as we do. You get that? And so what we want to do is we would think this person is so sinful. I mean, they are strung out on drugs. They're a thief. Uh, they worship Satan. You know, they, it's just this person is so absolutely terrible. The juice is not worth the squeeze for this person. I'm not going to invest in this person. I'm not going to witness to this person. I'm not going to pray for this person because there's no way. Don't do that. Don't limit God's ability to save. If you ever forget God's heart for the lost, look at Jesus. John chapter three, verse 16, you know this. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave, his one and only son. We know the shepherd loved the lost sheep because he celebrated when he found it. We know that the woman valued the lost coin because she threw a party when she found it. We know God loves the lost because look at Luke 15, 7. I tell you, Jesus says, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. We know God loves the lost because look at verse 10. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Jesus loves the lost. That's why he goes out of his way in search for them. That's why when he finds them, he celebrates over them. Which brings me to the last spiritual truth that we can learn from these two parables. Christ will save the lost. Now, the emphasis is on Christ and will. Christ will save the lost. Christ is persistent in his pursuit of the lost. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 4. What man among you who has 100 sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the one? What does it say? Until he finds it. Luke 15, verse 8. What woman who has 10 coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Jesus says, if the shepherd searches until he finds the lost sheep, if the woman searches until she finds a lost coin, how much more will God search until he finds his lost children? He's persistent in his pursuit of the lost. He will, he will find them. And he, emphasis on him, emphasis on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he will save them. I want you to think about this. What did the lost things contribute to their rescue? Did the lost sheep, did it like tag the little, uh, little apple pod thing like locator? 
I mean, a sheep, the only thing it could do is just bah, bah. Right? See, this isn't a story about a resilient sheep who fought for its life, waiting on the shepherd to come and find it. It's not a story about that. What did the lost coin, what did it contribute to its rescue? This is what a coin can do. Didn't contribute anything, right? Because it's not, a, it's not a story about a shiny coin that was able to reflect the light from the lamp so that it could get the attention of the owner that was searching for it. It's not a story about that. This is a parable not about how a dumb sheep and a lifeless coin is good at being found. This is a parable about how good Christ is at finding and saving the lost. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says this. This is a promise. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, our salvation is not dependent upon our ability to repent. Our salvation is not based on our ability to be found. Our salvation is dependent on the love of a father for his lost child. Our salvation is dependent on the illuminating light in the hands of the owner that shines even into the darkest places. Our salvation is dependent on the strength of a good shepherd to carry his lost sheep back home. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For you are saved by grace, through faith. This is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. You see, at the end of the day, when all who believe and are enjoying their master's happiness, not a one of us can puff up our chest and say, hey, look at what I've accomplished. Not a one of us can get the big head and say, look, I deserve to be here. All those sinners in hell, they deserve, but look at me, I, des- I am right where I deserve. Not one of us will be able to say that. The only thing we can say when we are in glory, when we are standing before our creator, the only thing we can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is because of you that I am here. It is because of you that I'm saved. And between now and then, when you get off course, and you will get off course, when you lose your way, and sometimes you're going to lose your way, when you stumble and fall, and sometimes you're going to stumble and fall, be reminded that the same grace that saved you is the same grace that will sustain you. And when you get discouraged about that unbelieving loved one in your life, and you're so stressed out because you, you've tried everything you know to do 
to get them in church. You've tried everything you know to do to convince them of the gospel and, and to, to get them to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. You're, you're just banging your head up against the wall, and you're just like, what else can I do? And you're so stressed, and you're so anxious about it. Be reminded today that the same grace that chased you down is also pursuing this person that you love so much. In our Christian living, let us trust and rest in Christ. In our Christian witness, let us trust and rest in Christ. He will save the lost. So, three truths. It's not good to be lost. Jesus loves the lost. Christ will save the lost. How should you respond to these truths? Now, let's think for just a second. I'm almost done, I promise. Think about how the coin was lost. At some, at some point, it was displaced, either out of a purse that she had it in or off of this necklace that she was wearing. It was displaced, and it fell through the cracks. In this day and age, their floor was like either a plank floor or a cobblestone floor. So the, the coin was displaced from the necklace, and it fell into the cracks of the cobblestone. Now, is that an accurate analogy of how people stay separated from God? displaced in some way. There's a tragedy in their life. There's a temptation in their life. There's some sort of um, teaching, a false teaching in their life, and it, 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 it gives them a crisis of faith, and then they drift away from God. Isn't that how it works? And so they're displaced, and then they fall through the cracks because there's, there's not any people there to catch them. There's not any people to call on them. There's not any people to call them out. And so they stay lost. How was the coin recovered? A lady lit a lamp, and she swept the ground with a broom. Now, a lamp filled with oil emanating a flame. Uh, most scholars, they, they say that Jesus says this because he wants us to think about the Holy Spirit's work in salvation, that the Holy Spirit is shining a light in the darkness, illuminating the lost people that they might come back home. And then you've got the broom. So if the lamp is the Holy Spirit's work, what is the broom? It's an instrument in the hand of the owner. It's me and you. And so here are the action steps, and I, I want to challenge you. I think that this could, this could change some things. I want to challenge you to pray two things. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to shine his life on the lost people in your life. Pray a prayer like this. Help me to see them the way you do and help them to see you the way I do. Holy Spirit, shine your light on the lost people in my life. And here's the next thing I want you to pray. Holy Spirit, empower me to be an instrument in your hands. It's going to take courage. And so may your courage be as strong as the handle of a broom. And it's also going to take grace. May your approach be as gentle as the soft bristles of that broom, that you may communicate to the wayward person in your sphere of influence. Where did the woman go in search of the coin? She didn't go out on the streets. She didn't go to Starbucks. It's right there in her house. Let's start there. God's, God's calling you to be an evangelist to your wife, to your husband, to your kids to your grandkids, to your physical neighbors, to your coworkers. There's lost people in your life. May the Lord give you a heart for them. 
And then may he empower you to be like that broom, just gently trying to get that coin back where it belongs. It's not good that they're lost. Jesus loves the lost. Christ will save the lost. Let's pray. Thank you that you're seeking and saving God. Your goodness and your mercy has followed us all the days of our life. You are our salvation, our security, and our sustenance. Father, I pray for any lost person within the sound of my voice today. May they be overcome by the love of Christ in this moment, knowing that no matter how great their sin, your grace is greater. Holy Spirit, light the way to their salvation today. Please make us, Lord, an evangelistic church. May our heart for the lost match yours. May our confidence be based not on our ability to witness, but on your ability to save. And may our church experience a revival of souls being saved so that the joy of heaven might overflow in our midst as we rejoice with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach. We're going to start preaching about the lost son. Specifically, next week, I want to talk to you about the older brother. The two Sundays following that, I'm going to talk to you about the heart of the father, and I'm going to talk to you about the lost son. Those two Sundays are going to be high-impact, high-potential Sundays. So this is what I want to encourage you to do today. First of all, if you are separated from Christ, know that he's pursuing you. And so if you feel any sort of tug right now, no matter how lost you are, no matter how sinful you are, can I just plead with you, our good Lord and Savior is calling you into his loving arms. Don't resist it. Please come and talk to me. For all the rest of you, this is what I want to encourage you to do during this time. Pray for a person you know that is separated from the Lord. That, that God will give you an opportunity give you whatever you need in order to get this person in touch with the gospel. And be thinking about those two Sundays, not next week, but the two Sundays following, that you could invite them and get them here to church. You may even want to come up here and pray for them at the altar. I'm here. If anybody needs to be prayed for, I'd love to pray with you. As we sing, come.